Today's scripture reading comes from Psalms chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. There we go. That was my fault. I just wanted a dramatic walk up. Each one of my steps was a powerful step coming up. Um, so we are beginning a new sermon series, and uh, we are really excited about it. It's on Psalm 23, which we just heard read. And Eric already mentioned this, but Psalm 23 is one of the most beloved, one of the most well-known, probably the most memorized passage in all of the Bible. It's the most read and requested passage for people who are in their last moments in this world. And it's so simple. It's, it's short. We read it in just a few seconds. But it's powerfully spoken to people for thousands of years. So there are a lot of reasons that we could give as to why we should study this psalm, Psalm 23. But why, why Psalm 23 for us, for Trinity OC, right now? Um, and there's an answer to that question I wanted to share. Before this summer started, uh, I was having a, numerous conversations with people from all stages of life, people who are single here, people who uh, are newly married, um, without kids, people with kids, people at various stages in their career, people post-career and post-kids, and across the board, there was a common theme that I was hearing. And the theme was this, I'm busy. I'm so busy, I'm so overwhelmed, there's so much happening in my life. And along with this busyness, there's, there's a lack of contentment. There's restlessness in my heart. People were saying in one way or another, my life is busy. I'm too busy to even think about contentment, but I'm, I'm struggling to understand why am I so driven? Why do I keep going to what's next and have such a hard time living in the present? And why am I always working or looking for something better? So it made me ask, what's, what's going on? Why are we so busy and so restless? What's the connection then between our crazy and busy lives and a lack of contentment in our lives. These questions are, are the main reason why this summer I was emphasizing, I was encouraging all of us to take, take some time, take a, a Sabbath to just stop, to be silent and to ask God, God, I'm not being busy, I'm silent, I'm going to dedicate this time for you, I'm going to take a summer Sabbath and just ask you, where is contentment found? Amongst, amongst all the busy stuff that I can do, what do you want me to do? And so that's, that's where the idea of the summer Sabbath came. 
Besides Sabbath, there are all kinds of ways people who experience this busyness. I don't think it's just something that's happening in our church. It seems like a common theme in our culture um, that many people are experiencing. And people are trying to deal with it and make sense of it in all kinds of ways. You have an explosion of, of mindfulness techniques. We, we can take a vacation, which are fun and good. There's a resurgence of this idea of minimalism. So you can do Sabbath, minimalism, uh, vacations. You can do mindfulness. And all these can be uh, of help, I think, somewhat. But there's a deeper issue in the soul that needs to be addressed. Where can we go for help to find our way to a deep soul contentment and rest? That's where Psalm 23 comes in. Before we get back into all the, the fall busyness and all the craziness, what should we study? Uh, we were asking this question. Uh, Pastor E.C. and I were discussing this, and he said, what about Psalm 23? And given all that I was, I was thinking about, all these conversations I had, I was like, that's it. That's what I need. And I think that's what we need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In the CSB, a different version says in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Psalm 23 then is this prayer of deep contentment and deep rest. And so the question for us this morning, the question I've been asking myself all week as I've studied this is, is this possible for us to experience that kind of contentment here in Orange County, 2018, in our busy lives, to live like this, to experience this kind of rest? I found this, um, this poem, this blog post, it's called Psalm 23 Antithesis. And I want to read this to you because it resonated with me and how, um, how my, my life often feels. It's called Psalm 23 Antithesis by Marsha Hornock. It says this, The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My, my inbox overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressures shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. That is a depressing antithesis, but do you resonate with it? At least with parts of it, I know that I do in many, many ways. Psalm 23 says there's a different way to live. There's a way out. There's a life of contentment. How do we get there? Like I said, um, we're in this new uh, psalm series, Psalm 23. We're going to take four weeks to go through six verses. So we're going to be putting into practice what it looks like to slow down even in the way that we preach through this. And, in, and to start this, um, this series, to answer the question, how do we find contentment and rest? We're just going to look mainly this morning at verse 1. We're going to focus on just one verse. Verse 1 
I think, answers three basic questions for us that every day, every person has to answer in some way or another, consciously or subconsciously. We live our lives. Our lives are formed and driven by our answer to these three questions. The first is, who am I? The second is, who is God? And the third is, what do I want? And if you're following along, if you're taking notes, that's going to be our outline this morning. How does Psalm 23 address and answer those three questions? How are those three questions and the, psalm, the psalm's answer to those questions the key, the secret to us finding contentment and rest? So let's start with question number one. Who am I? The first question Psalm 23 answers for us, who am I? The great preacher Charles Spurgeon in his sermon on this said, there is a certain preliminary confession that we need to make in order for us to even get past verse 1 of Psalm 23. That confession is our answer to the question, who am I? The answer Psalm 23 gives us, I am a sheep. If God is my shepherd, then I am a sheep. At first we might say, okay, that's, that's kind of a, a cute, that's a very consoling, kind of a cuddly image. We are like God's little lamb, and you can, you can kind of picture that in your mind. But that, in Psalm 23 and throughout the Bible, when the Bible describes us as sheep, that's not really what it's talking about. Did we fast forward? No, not yet, not yet. All right, right there. You weren't supposed to see that picture yet. I'll get to that picture in a second. I was like, well, what's everybody laughing at? Well, that spoiled a little bit because that sheep was not very cute. But when the Bible describes us as sheep, it's a humbling picture. It's a deeply humbling answer for us to answer the question, who am I? I am a sheep. And it's even, in some ways, if we really get it, if we really grasp it and own it, it's kind of offensive to us. Psalm 100, we read that this morning for our call to worship. It says, come into his presence with singing. Know that he is the Lord. He is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Five psalms earlier, Psalm 95, says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. To be a sheep means to know that he is God and not us. It means to know and embrace fully that we are created people. So we are dependent, we are helpless on our own, and we are weak. That it, that's what it means to be a human being. That's what it means to be created. But there's a second aspect, the Bible says, to us being a sheep. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Psalm 119, 176 says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. To be a sheep not only means that we are created weak and vulnerable, it also means to know and to own that we are also sinful, that we go astray, that we get lost that we're not sure whether we want to be under the direction and care of the shepherd. To be a human being then means we have weakness and we have 
waywardness. That's what it means to be a sheep. And sheep were a common part of life in the ancient world. So everybody, when they heard the Bible describing them as sheep, they said, I think I get it. I've seen a sheep. I've seen a shepherd. I know what sheep are like. But we, unless we visit Orange High School and see the sheep there and the goats there, we really don't understand what what is a sheep like. There is a modern-day story that helps us understand what the Bible has in mind when it says we are sheep. And it's one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard. And it's the story of Chris. Chris the sheep. You already saw him. You already saw Chris. But let me tell you his story. Uh, Chris, he was a domesticated sheep, a merino wool sheep. So he was raised for his wool coat. But he got lost. And he lived in the Australian wilderness... And if you've been on the internet, you know how dangerous Australia is. All the dangerous, most dangerous animals in the world live in Australia. So he was out there wandering in the wilderness for five or six years on his own. And when a hiker saw him out in the bush, now it's time. There's what he saw. Let's put it up. Chris. Is he here? There he is. Now, that's a pretty frightening picture right there. If you were a hiker in the Australian wilderness and you saw that, you would be freaked out. He's got 89 pounds of uh, wool that he's carrying around. So he was lost five or six years. I don't know how he survived. All it would have taken for him to die was that coat (laughs) just causing him to fall over. And who knows, all kinds of animals would have feasted upon Chris. But he was found. And he was eventually shaved and taken care of, and he rejoined um, a flock. So maybe that, that kind of gives us a feeling of what it means when the Bible says we are sheep. Apart from the care of the shepherd, go one more image. That's us. <laughs> we're dirty. We're lost. We're helpless. We're weak. Somehow he survived. A sheep is defenseless, afraid, vulnerable, weak, not very smart, prone to wander off, and they do get lost very easily. They have no idea what's best for themselves. They're just as likely to run into danger as they are to run into safety. And so, friends, can we confess that about ourselves? It's a little too humbling It's a little hard for us to say that about ourselves, especially here in Orange County. I know many of you, you are successful people. You are accomplished people. You are brilliant people. You have a plan for yourself, I know. Many of you have a plan for your family, and you're following that agenda, and you're following that plan, and it's working out okay. But Scripture says, Psalm 23 says, who are we? We are sheep. And so we have to ask ourselves, how might I have maybe an overinflated or a distorted view of my own power to control my life? How might I have an overinflated or distorted view of my own wisdom to guide my life? Or my own allegiance to the plans that I have for my life? What if the wisdom and success and security I do have is all a gift from the shepherd and not because of me? Quick application here. We don't graduate out of sheepness when we become Christians. We don't ever graduate out of our sheepiness in this life. 
the more we grow as Christians, the more we fully own our sheepiness. We regularly admit it to ourselves, to God, and to other people. We say things regularly like, I'm lost. I've strayed. I've wandered. I'm afraid. I'm clueless. I'm weak. Not a sign we are failing when we say those things. It's not a sign we're on the wrong path. It's a sign that we are learning, that we are sheep, and that is good. Because that is what we are. Who am I? Psalm 23 says, before you can begin to sing this psalm and pray this psalm and experience the contentment in this psalm, you have to know you're a sheep. That's question one. Question two, who is God? A.W. Tozer, author, said, what comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. Whatever we believe, Christian or not, one of the basic questions that shapes our lives is, is there a God? And if there is, who is he? What is he like? Is there something out there bigger than me? Is there something out there where all this came from? If not, I'm on my own in an impersonal universe. I have to figure out meaning and direction on my own. But if there is a God, then the most important question that I need to pursue and to answer is, what is he like? Who is this God? Psalm 23 gives us one of the central pictures that the Bible tells us this is who God is like. It's, the, it's one of the central answers to the question in Scripture. This is who God is. This is how he relates to us as a shepherd. And the shepherd, the picture of God as a shepherd, is one of the most personal and probably the most comprehensive answer to the question, who is God, especially in, in the Old Testament. It's a very personal image of God. The psalmist says in verse 1, God is my shepherd. He's my personal shepherd. You could argue that second only to the image of God as Father, which is present in the Old Testament but not, um, but not emphasized, that the image and the picture of God as shepherd is the most personal picture we have. The Psalms speak of God as the king, so he is the king who is over us. The Psalms speak often of God as our savior and our rescuer. He's outside of us. He comes to our rescue to deliver us when we need him. The Psalms describe God as a rock or a fortress. All these are very meaningful pictures of God, but a rock and a fortress is very impersonal. The shepherd, on the other hand, he lives with the sheep. He knows the sheep. He's always there. Who is God? God is a present God who knows us personally and intimately. That's what it means when it says God is my shepherd. Another important aspect of God's personal care over our lives is found in the verb, is. The Lord is my shepherd. It's very important for us to notice that it does not say the Lord will be your shepherd if you. The Lord will be your shepherd when you. There's no qualification. There's no prerequisite. There's no thing for us to do for the Lord to be our shepherd. He is. If you are a Christian, if you have joined yourself to the shepherd by faith, whether we realize it and even when we resist it, he is personally shepherding us. 
if I could just share personally from my own life how this was brought home to me this week. Sometimes for me, I think for many of us, we're so preoccupied with leading ourselves, with running our lives, with, with figuring out what's the next thing that I need to do. We don't see the signs that God is. He is shepherding us. And this came home to me uh, this week, this, this weekend on Friday. I had scheduled my day of prayer, my Sabbath day of prayer for silence. Uh, but as some of you know, we, we've been out of our house for about two and a half weeks. There was flooding and mold, and so we had no idea where we were going to live come this week. So that was, that was a pretty big deal. And then um, we had planned something else during the week, so I was behind on this sermon. I was behind on studying for it. And as Friday came, I was, I was anxious and overwhelmed, and I was thinking, a day of prayer, that's the last thing I need. I need to get busy. We need to find a place to live. I need to, I need to get this sermon done. I have all these things that I have to do. And so I showed up to the place where I, I, I do my day of silent prayer. It's a place in Oceanside. Um, and when you get there, when you arrive, they assign you a room. And so I get there. I'm like, I don't even know if I should be here. I don't know if I should be doing this. I got so much to do. So, okay, I'm just going to do it. I show up, and then I'm going to have a picture. This was handed to me. A little key ring with the number 23 on it. And if you know um, my story a little bit, you know, the number 23 has been my favorite number since I was eight years old because of my sports heroes. And we were, we were studying, yeah, Ryan Sandberg, Michael Jordan, yeah, Chicago. Um, so 23 has been very dear to my heart, but we were studying this passage. I was thinking about this passage. I was like, Lord, I need this passage more than ever. And out of 40 rooms in the retreat center, I get number 23. And... It was deeply meaningful for me. It's small, but an unforgettable way I was shown, the Lord is my shepherd. He's with me. And I'm not sharing that to say that God will always, he's only done that for me in my life, like I can only maybe two or three times. Something so precise, something so specific where God is saying, I am your shepherd. You don't know where you're going to live next week? You don't know how the sermon is going to get done. There's all kinds of things you could be doing in ministry. And you don't know how they're going to turn out. But I just want you to know, I am your shepherd. Sometimes when we're listening, sometimes when we're able to see, we see signs that God is at work, despite evidence to the contrary, despite all the questions we have and the unanswered areas in our lives. We often don't know exactly what or even most of what God is doing, where he's leading, how he will provide and protect, but our feelings and our circumstances don't change the tense of the verb in verse 1 of Psalm 23. He is our shepherd. He knows me. He knows my needs. He is my shepherd. It's a very personal image. It's also a comprehensive image. For God to be a shepherd in the ancient Near East, it meant that the shepherd takes care of everything for the sheep. There's nothing else and no one else that they need or need to look to. The shepherd metaphor covers all our basic and most important human needs. 
I have a slide uh, to show this, how this is unfolded in, in the psalm. In verse 2, if we just look as the psalm progresses, it says, He provides, He makes us lie down in green pastures so we can eat and we can drink. He provides our basic needs. He guides us. He leads us in paths of righteousness, the good and right path. He protects us. Even in the darkest valleys, he's right there with his rod and his staff. And he cares for us. He tends to us, our souls. He restores our soul, our spiritual strength. He comforts us. And he wants to be with us so that we would be in his house forever. So as our shepherd, God provides, he protects, he guides, and he cares. Those are all our core and basic needs. Every human being has to answer these questions. Who or what will give me security and protection when I'm afraid? Who or what can I count on to provide for my needs? Who or what can I trust in to guide me to what is best in this life? And who or what will I look to for the deep needs of my soul, the desires of my heart, the brokenness and wounds of my soul? The shepherd metaphor tells us God comprehensively takes care of all those things for every single one of his sheep. Not only does it say he does these things, but he promises to do these things, and he delights to do these things as our shepherd. So first question, who am I? I am a sheep. I am created, limited, weak, and wayward. Second question, Psalm 23 says, God, who is he? He is our shepherd. He personally shepherds us. He comprehensively shepherds us in all of our needs. Third question, what do I want? I was very confused when it came to this psalm. I'd, I grew up in the church. I had heard this psalm uh, being said and being recited on many occasions. And when it said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What I thought as a kid that that was saying is, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't want him to be my shepherd. And I was like, why is that in the Bible? That doesn't make any sense. What is that saying? I learned later that when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it means that I shall not lack. Want as in lack. I shall not lack anything. Or as another translation says it, I have all that I need. Though it was a misunderstanding of what the psalm was intending to say, I think it was an accurate understanding that I had as a kid as to why it's so hard for us to experience the contentment and the rest that is described in Psalm 23. It's because when we really get down to it, we don't want the Lord to be our shepherd. Let me explain. First, although we may be able to acknowledge sometimes we're a little sheepy, we really don't want to be sheep. We don't want to admit how fully sheep-like we really are, how helpless and vulnerable and dependent and weak and wayward we can be. And on top of that, although we may be drawn to the idea of God as shepherd, so personal, so comprehensive, he provides, he protects, he guides and cares for us. We're drawn to that, but deep down we're not very sure that we want such a personal and comprehensive shepherd in our lives. That requires radical trust 
and a complete surrender of control. It goes like this. We would rather, instead of having a personal comprehensive shepherd, have a shepherd where we can pick and choose. God, I want you to be my spiritual shepherd, but I will be my own economic shepherd. I'll need the care of the shepherd. That sounds good. But his guidance in every single aspect of my life, I'm not sure I need that. I want his protection when I'm afraid and in danger. But when it comes to provision, I think I've got that part of my life handled. We're not sure we really want a shepherd like this. And to the extent that we really don't want to be sheep, to the extent that we don't want such a personal and comprehensive shepherd, we won't be able to say, I shall not want. I have all, everything I need. So what can we do? How do we go from not wanting to be that sheep-like? How do we go from not wanting to have that personal and comprehensive a shepherd leading and guiding our lives? What do we do? How do we address that? Well, underneath all of our sin and waywardness, is a deep desire for independence. Underneath all of our sin and waywardness is a deep question, and that question is this. Do I trust, do I believe that God is loving and good? Do we trust he's loving and good? Before the first sin, what led to the very first act of sin in human history, the sin in the garden with Adam and Eve, what did the serpent try to create in Adam and Eve? before they even thought about sin, before they even, it even entered in their mind that they might do something that God said don't do. Wasn't it discontentment? Wasn't it this question? Well, why can't we eat of that tree? Well, is God holding back? Is he really loving? Has he really given us all that we need? Is he really a good shepherd? The discontentment crept in first and distrust. And they started to ask, what if it's not good to be a sheep? What if we can set the rules? What if God isn't good? What if he's holding back? How do we drive back this discontentment and come back to the place where we want to be sheep again and we want to be in the care of the shepherd? There's Psalm 23 itself. We've looked at just verse 1. We can look at it. We can look at what God promises how it tells us you can trust him and we can memorize this psalm, we can sing this psalm, we can soak in this psalm and it can do profound work so that we can want to be a sheep, we can want to be under the care of the good shepherd. But Psalm 23 is also part of a larger story of the sheep and the shepherd that unfolds throughout the scriptures until it culminates in the person of Jesus. It's important for us to read this psalm in light of that larger story And to know that Jesus lived and prayed this psalm as a sheep. And Jesus fulfilled and brought this psalm to its fullest as a shepherd. And Jesus is called in the Gospel of John and elsewhere, the Lamb of God. A lamb is a baby sheep, the most weak and the most vulnerable and the most helpless of sheep. He's the Lamb of God. There is no other shepherd that we can follow, no other person or thing we can look to with our basic needs that knows fully what it's like to be a sheep. But Jesus does. 
No other shepherd knows the weakness, the vulnerability, the fear, and our temptation to run away from God like Jesus, the Lamb. He experienced it all. He knows it. And so it's safe to own our full sheepness with him. He lived this prayer. This was the prayer of his life. He also fulfilled this prayer as the shepherd. The New Testament calls Jesus the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. There's no other shepherd like him. In John 10, verses 10 and 11, Jesus places himself in the role of the good shepherd. And what he's doing in John 10 is saying, the shepherd that is described in Psalm 23, it's me. And I've come to show you that it's okay to be a sheep. You can own it fully. And I've come to deal with the question underneath your sin. Am I loving and am I good? As the good shepherd, I'm here to show you that I am. In verses 10 and 11 of John chapter 10, he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, I understand why you don't want to be a sheep. Because you're not sure that you can believe that I am that loving and that good to wayward and weak sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest, that you might have abundant life. Everywhere I lead you, I lead you to full life. Everywhere I lead you, I lead you to abundant life. And here's how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love you. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's saying, I love sinful, wayward, weak, and foolish sheep so much that I've laid down my life for them. Jesus goes on in verses 17 and 18, and he says, I want you to be clear about this. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus is saying, I want to lay down my life. I came as the good shepherd to lay down my life, and I want to do it. Nobody's making me do it. I want to do this for the sheep. Why does he want to do it? It's so that we might know life, life abundant in following the good shepherd. He says, I've given my life so you would know life. And so we can say, we are more sheep-like, more weak, more helpless, more wayward and sinful than we, would ev- we will ever know. We would ever dare want to admit. And yet at the same time, the shepherd, he is more good. He is more loving. He is more trustworthy than we could ever dare imagine. He is the good shepherd. And so our answer to the question, what do I want in order to find contentment, in order to find rest? The answer to the question, what do I want, is I want Jesus, the good shepherd, to be near to him, to be close to him. When that is what I want more than anything else, that's where contentment and that's where rest is found. I just want to close with a few final applications. Because we can take 
all of what I just said and still carry with us a misunderstanding, a mistranslation of verse, of verse 1 of Psalm 23. We can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That could be misunderstood to be saying, the Lord is my shepherd so I can get all that I want. We need to be clear, that's not what this is saying. It's not what we can get from the shepherd. It's the shepherd himself that we seek, that we follow, that we try to get near to. We don't go to him to get these things from him and be on our way. We go to him and stay as close to him. And when we are close to him, these things come to us. You could think of it using the illustration of marriage. If you said to your spouse, you know why I married you? So I could get security from you. You know, honey, why I married you is so I could hang out with your friends and have access to your network so you could meet all my needs. If this is a conversation you're having with your spouse, then there'll be a problem there. The answer to the question, why did I get married to you, is I got married to you for you so I could be close to you, so I could be near to you, so I could be connected to you. And from there, all the blessings and the benefits of marriage flow. So it's not the Lord is my shepherd so I can get all I want. And it's not the Lord is my shepherd. He gives me all I want. It's easier in the pastures. It's easier in the quiet waters to say, the Lord is my shepherd. It's okay. But as the psalm goes on, and we'll discuss this, the shepherd also leads us through valleys. And he leads us through the presence of enemies. And so it's important for us to know and to have the right expectations and the right picture. When the shepherd leads us, he leads us in times that are good, in times of abundance and blessing, and also through valleys. The enemies are still there. The valleys are still there. But because the shepherd is there, I can have contentment and rest even though I go through those things. And so for those of you who are not Christians, we are not saying here, Psalm 23 is not saying, become a Christian and it's all green pastures. It's not what the psalm promises. And for Christians, we need to be reminded. We know... We need to know that journeying with the shepherd takes us through pastures and valleys and there are still enemies. We need to know that so we're not shocked that when those things come, we distrust the shepherd and wonder, where did you go? What's happening? I thought you would do everything I would want. It's not what it says. It says the shepherd will lead you to what's best for you. He knows what's best. And he is able and he is so loving to take us to the place that is best for us. Because the good shepherd gave everything because he laid down his life to take care of our most important need, to come back to him. We can trust him with all of our other needs. We can trust him to sort out our needs from our wants. So it's not the Lord is my shepherd so I can get all I want. It's not the Lord is my shepherd. He gives me all I want. It is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's stay close to him, friends. Let's follow him. Let's pray. Jesus, our good shepherd, I pray as we have meditated on, as we have soaked in this image, this picture you have given to us that you are our shepherd. And because you are our shepherd, we have all we need. We hear it. We've reflected on it. 
But I pray now, as we have a moment to just sit before you in your presence, that you would shepherd us right now. That we would bring whatever need, whatever lack, whatever discontent, whatever struggle we have before you. And you would enable us to bring it to you in trust and surrender. That you would remind us that you are with us in it. And that we would cling to you, we would stay close to you no matter what, no matter what you're doing. That we would follow you knowing you are the good shepherd. Even when we can't see how life is abundant, help us to trust you, help us to keep walking. Do that for us out of your great love for us, out of your great goodness, out of your deep heart for all of your sheep. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.